love him in spite of. No matter what he does, you see God's image there. And that is an element of goodness that he can never slough off. Discover the element of good in your enemy. And as you seek to hate him, find the center of goodness and place your attention there and you will take a new attitude. Another way that you love your enemy is this. When the opportunity presents itself for you to defeat your enemy, that is the time that you must not do. There will come a time, in many instances, when the person who hates you most, the person who has misused you most, the person who has gossiped about you most, the person who has spread false rumors about you most, there will come a time when you will have an opportunity to defeat that person. It might be in terms of a recommendation for a job. It might be in terms of helping that person to make some move in life. That's the time you must do it. That is the meaning of love. In the final analysis, love is not this sentimental something that we talk about. It is not merely an emotional something. Love is creative, understanding, goodwill for all men. It is a refusal to defeat any individual. When you rise to the level of love of its great beauty and power, you seek only to defeat evil systems. Individuals who happen to be caught up in that system you love, but you seek to defeat the system. The Greek language, as I've said so often before, is very powerful at this point. It comes to our aid beautifully in giving us the real meaning and depths of the whole philosophy of love. And I think it is quite apropos at this point. But you see, the Greek language has three words for love, interestingly enough. It talks about love as eros. That's one word for love. Eros is a sort of uh, aesthetic love. Plato talks about it a great deal in his dialogues, a sort of yearning of the soul for the realm of the gods. It has come to us to be a sort of romantic love. Though it's a beautiful love, everybody has experienced eros and all of its beauty when you find some individual that is attractive to you and that you pour out all of your life and your love on that individual. That is eros, you see, and it's a powerful, beautiful love that is given to us through all of the beauty of literature we read about. Then the Greek language talks about philia, and that's another type of love is also beautiful. It is a sort of intimate affection between personal friends. This is the type of love that you have for those persons that you're friendly with, your intimate friends, uh, people that you call on the telephone and you go by to have dinner with, and your roommate in college and that type of thing. It's a sort of reciprocal love. On this level, you like a person because that person likes you. You love on this level because you are loved. You love on this level because there's something about the person you love that is likable to you. This, too, is a beautiful love. You can communicate with the person. You have certain things in common. You like to do things together. This is philia. The Greek language comes out with another word for love. It is the word agape. Agape is more than eros. Agape is more than philia. Agape is something of the understanding 
creative, redemptive goodwill for all men. It is a love that seeks nothing in return. It is an overflowing love. It's what theologians would call the love of God working in the lives of men. And when you rise to love on this level, you begin to love men not because they are likable, but because God loves them. You look at every man and you love him because you know God loves him, and he might be the worst person you've ever seen. And this is what Jesus means, I think, in this very passage when he says, love your enemy. And it's significant that he does not say, like your enemy. Like is a sentimental something, an affectionate something. There are a lot of people that I find it difficult to like. I don't like what they do to me. I don't like what they say about me and other people. I don't like their attitudes. I don't like some of the things they're doing. I don't like them. But Jesus says, love them. And love is greater than like. Love is understanding, redemptive, goodwill for all men so that you love everybody because God loves them. You refuse to do anything that will defeat an individual because you have a copy in your soul. And here you come to the point that you love the individual who does the evil deed while hating the deed that the person does. This is what Jesus means. And he says, love your enemy, this is the way to do it. And the opportunity presents itself for you to defeat your enemy. You must not do it. Now, for the few moments left, let us move from the practical how to the theoretical why. Not only necessary to know how to go about loving your enemies, but also to go down into the question of why we should love our enemies. I think the first reason that we should love our enemies, and I think this was at the very center of Jesus' thinking, is this, that hate for hate only intensifies the existence of hate and evil in the universe. If I hit you and you hit me and I hit you back and you hit me back and go on. You see, that goes on ad infinitum. It just never ends. Somewhere, somebody must have a little sense, and that's the strong person. The strong person is the person who can cut off the chain of hate, the chain of evil. And that is the tragedy of hate, that it doesn't cut it off. It only intensifies the existence of hate and evil in the universe. Somebody must have religion enough and morality enough to cut it off and inject within the very structure of the universe that strong, powerful element of love. I think I mentioned before that some time ago, my brother and I were driving one evening to Chattanooga, Tennessee from Atlanta. He was driving the car. And some, for some reason, the drivers were very discourteous that night. They didn't dim their lights. Hardly any driver that passed by dimmed his lights. And I remember very vividly, my brother A.D. looked over and in a tone of anger said, I know what I'm going to do. The next car that comes along here and refuses to dim the lights, I'm going to fail to dim mine and pour them on in all of that power. And I looked at him right quick and said, oh, no, don't do that be too much light on this highway and it will end up in mutual destruction for all somebody got to have some sense on this highway somebody must have sense enough to dim the lights 
That is the trouble, isn't it? And as all of the civilizations of the world move up the highway of history, so many civilizations have looked at other civilizations that refuse to dim the lights, and they decided to refuse to dim theirs. And Tornby tells that, uh, that out of the 22 civilizations that have risen up, all but about seven have found themselves in the junk heap of destruction. It is because civilizations fail to have sense enough to dim the lights. And if somebody doesn't have sense enough to turn on the dim and beautiful and powerful lights of love in this world, the whole of our civilization will be plunged into the abyss of destruction. And we will all end up destroyed because nobody had any sense on the highway of history. Somewhere, somebody must have some sense. Men must see that force begets force, hate begets hate, toughness begets toughness, and it is all a descending spiral ultimately ending in destruction for all and everybody. Somebody must have sense enough and morality enough to cut off the chain of hate and the chain of evil in the universe. And you do that by love. That's another reason why you should love your enemies. And that is because hate distorts the personality of the hater. We usually think of what hate does for the individual hated or the individuals hated or the groups hated. But it is even more tragic it is even more ruinous and injurious to the individual who hates. You just begin hating somebody and you will begin to do irrational things. You can't see straight when you hate. You can't walk straight when you hate. You can't stand upright. Your vision is distorted. That is nothing more tragic than to see an individual whose heart is filled with hate. He comes to the point that he becomes a pathological case. The person who hates, you can stand up and see a person and that person can be beautiful and you will call them ugly. For the person who hates the beautiful becomes ugly and the ugly becomes beautiful. For the person who hates the good becomes bad and the bad becomes good. For the person who hates the true becomes false and the false becomes true. That's what hate does. You can't see right. The citadel of objectivity is lost. Hate destroys the very structure of the personality of the hater. And this is why Jesus says hate. This recording is briefly interrupted at this point. That you want to be integrated with yourself and the way to be integrated with yourself is be sure that you meet every situation of life with an abounding love. Never hate. Because it ends up in tragic neurotic responses. Psychologists and psychiatrists are telling us today that the more we hate, the more we develop guilt feelings and we begin to subconsciously repress or consciously suppress certain emotions and they all stack up in our subconscious cells and make for tragic neurotic responses. And may this not be the neuroses of many individuals as they confront life that that, that is an element of hate there. And modern psychology is calling on us now to love long before modern psychology came into being, the world's greatest psychologist who walked around the hills of Galilee told us to love. He looked at men and said, love your enemies, don't hate anybody. It's not enough just to hate your friends because 
or to, to love your friends, but because when you start hating anybody, it destroys the very center of your creative response to life and the universe. So love everybody. Hate at any point is a cancer that gnaws away the very vital center of your life and your existence. It is like eroding acid that eats away the best and the objective center of your life. So Jesus said, love, because hate destroys the hater as well as the hated. Now that is the final reason I think that Jesus says, love your enemies. It is this, that love has within it a redemptive power. And that is a power there that eventually transforms individuals. That's why Jesus says, love your enemies. Because if you hate your enemies, you have no way to redeem and to transform your enemies. But if you love your enemies, you will discover that at the very root of love is the power of redemption. You just keep loving people and keep loving them, even though they are mistreating you. Here's a person who is a neighbor, and this person is doing something wrong to you, and all of that. Just keep being friendly to that person. Keep loving them. Don't do anything to embarrass them. Just keep loving them, and they can't stand it too long. Oh, they react in many ways in the beginning. They react with bitterness because they are mad because you love them like that. They react with guilt feelings, and sometimes they'll hate you a little more at that transition period, but just keep love. And by the power of your love, they will break down under the load. That's love, you see. It is redemptive. And this is why Jesus says love. There's something about love that builds up. And it's creative. There is something about hate that tears down and is destructive. So love your enemies. I think one of the best examples of this, we all remember the great president of this United States, Abraham Lincoln, these United States, rather. You remember when Abraham Lincoln was running for president of the United States, there was a man who ran all around the country talking about Lincoln. He said a lot of bad things about Lincoln, a lot of unkind things. And sometimes he would get to the point that he would even talk about his look, saying you don't want a tall, lanky, ignorant man like this as the President of the United States. He went on and on and on and went around with that type of attitude and wrote about it.